this episode. A mathematician, a French mathematician, uh, Pierre de Fermé, was reading through an old Greek text, as you do. The Guinness Book of Records uh, puts it down as the hardest mathematical problem in existence because so many of the great mathematicians of, of history had tried to solve that problem and failed. Solving a problem like this, he said, it's very like uh, walking up to the door of a mansion and opening up the door and inside is totally black. 350 years and no one can do it. This guy did it. Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everybody. I'm Sean Callahan. And hi, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. In last week's episode, Sean gave us a tiny little tidbit of a story um, when uh, on the episode where Rob Grunder was talking about the science of storytelling. And I believe you're going to dive into this tidbit in a bit more detail today. Sean. I am. I am. I'm, I'm fascinated by, you know, stories around scientists and, uh, you know, sort of the ins and outs of their lives. And, and I mentioned Fermi's last theorem in our last episode and the fact that uh, mathematician, English mathematician, Andrew Wiles managed to solve that theorem. Now, I thought I'd just give you the bigger picture and what happened because uh, I think this is a good story for any real number literate, maybe not literate, number savvy uh, audiences, you know, uh, people in insurance companies, people in scientific organisations, uh, they would have heard about Fermi's last theorem, right? So what is it? Well, you know, back in the uh, 1600s, um, a, a mathematician, a French mathematician, uh, Pierre de Fermi, um, was reading through an old Greek text, as you do, right? Um, and he was making notations in the margins. Marginalia, I think they call that. And one of the notations, he was, it, was, it was in the area looking at um, this, this conjecture, if you like, it's sort of a derivative of Pythagoras' theorem. So, you know, Pythagoras' theorem, you know, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. It's, you know, how do you work out the, the lengths and, and angles in a triangle, a right-angle triangle? Well, uh, Fermi uh, put in the column, he says, well, if you change, you know, the squares to cubes and anything above that, so A cubed, plus B cubed, does not equal ever C cubed. That was his theorem. And that, regardless of the, if the number is three, all the way up to affinity, any integer, right? And in the margin, he sort of said, I have a you know, brilliant proof of that, that this margin's not big enough to, um, you know, to contain it. So this is in 1637. So it's like this tantalizing... Um, tidbit, if you like, that, you know, has all these mathematicians trying to work out. Well, there's a whole bunch of theorems and conjectures he's put forward in that, in those notes, in that margins, and they all get solved, right? Proved. And so they think that, okay, Fermi's onto something, right? He's, he's, he knows something here, but the one they can't, his last theorem, uh, they can't prove it. it, it ah, so it that's why it's called his last it's one. It's the last theorem because they're be working. Solved. That's right. They worked through all the others. They couldn't solve right. that. And so a prize gets put together for it. Um, the Guinness Book of Records uh, uh, puts it down as the hardest mathematical problem 
you know, in existence because so many of the great mathematicians of, of history had tried to solve that problem and failed, right? So it had the most attempts uh, at solving. Um, so anyway, in 1986, Andrew Wiles, he's a professor at Oxford, uh, he's had a lifelong interest. You know, like in 86, he's probably in his late 30s, maybe. Um, he's got a lifelong interest in that particular theorem because when he was a boy, someone gave him a book of, you know, tough, tough theorems that haven't been solved. And that was one of them. And he thought, okay, I'm going to give this a crack. But he knew he had to um, put some tremendous effort into it. So he actually locked himself away and he worked on it in secrecy. The only person who knew about it was his wife that he was working on it um, for seven years. Right. So, um, and, you know, and, and to cover his tracks, what he did, because of course you can't just disappear from your job for seven years. Right. And just be working on nothing. <laughs> so what he did was he, he published and republished work that he did in the previous years, in, you know, from 86 before. And so um, it gave the impression that he, he had this. still producing. He was still producing yeah. in that period, right? So anyway, he gets through and he says at one point, you know, like in that sixth year, he really felt he had it, had it worked out. And he, it was the first time he went down to his wife and he said, I've worked it out. I've worked it out. So he writes up, it's a 300-page proof. That's not a... Not a small thing. No wonder Fermi couldn't fit it in the margin. That's right. Yeah, and you know, and in the process, by the way, Wiles actually generates new uh, fields of mathematics. Right. So, presumably, the way he did it wasn't the way Fermi was doing it. But anyway, apart from that, um, but when he put out his paper for peer review, uh, he he had made some errors. Right, and it wasn't proved. And he had to go back to the drawing, not to the drawing board, but he had to go back and make the, the fixes to those problems. It took him another year. And in 1994, he, um, he proved it. He proved the theory. And he was first to do it in 350 years. Anyway, in, in subsequent interviews, so he wins all the, that. He wins the Fermi's Last Theorem Prize, but he also wins the equivalent of the Nobel Prize for Mathematicians. Um, and, um, you know, and he's... He's regarded as one of the most influential people at the time. He was compared to Oprah and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and he thought that was just hilarious. You see, I mean, if you see videos, I mean, he's a, he's a classic-looking mathematician, right? Oh, he's, he's green, spent a lot of time inside. Corduroy right? jacket. Yeah, yeah, that's him, yeah. right? He's, he's definitely an Oxford don. Um, but what he said, which really struck me, he sort of said, for him, solving a problem like this, he said, it's very like, uh, walking up to the door of a mansion and opening up the door and inside is totally black. Close the door and you have to feel around for the furniture. You bump into things, you get your, you know, your shins bruised and you're trying to work out where everything is. And, and it's, it's got that sense of foreboding. You don't know what's going to happen, what door you might open and you can't see a thing. And he's just, you know, he's, stumbling around in this in this mansion he doesn't know how many rooms it's got he doesn't know the size and shape at all and he said he spent you know at least six years or more in that mansion in total darkness and then he found his first light switch and he turns it on and boom all of a sudden 
the things that he thought were a bench were not quite a bench. They were a chair, but they're in the same spot, you know. And he said it was the most remarkable thing. He said that's to him what the scientific process and that the process of exploration in an area that you don't know what the answer is. That's what it feels like, and that's the that's the um, the sense of it, if you like. So anyway, I think uh, Wiles's efforts were uh, prodigious, and um, it says something nice about uh, the fact that you know sometimes you have to throw yourself into the unknown, don't you? And uh, and have oh, the last thing he said, I should. This is a, a key point, and that is they did ask him. So, you know, what's it like to be a genius in this? And he said, look, no, I'm not a genius. He said, yeah, I don't think I'm any smarter than any other mathematician, but I do have a trait. And that is when I start something, I stick with it until it's done, right? And that, that level of persistence is, is just that characteristic that, you know, turned him into a superstar in that space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a really, that, well, we'll talk about the business applications, but that's a, that's a fantastic one. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what do you think? What's uh, what do you think of that story, Mark? And Andrew was, I, I know I, I read it first in a book by surname Singh. I think it was probably back in the, must've been in the 90s. must've been just after the discovery. Really great, great book. I'll have to go and find it again and have another read. Well, I really like the, the, uh, description of walking into a dark mansion and bumping into things and and spending six years in the dark before yeah finding a light switch and turning it on and uh yeah i love that and it that could that description alone could become a very very useful metaphor you could just use that couldn't you yeah without any of that story you could just sort of say hey we're walking into something which is a bit like walking into a pitch black mansion you just use that metaphor yeah. Yep. So yeah, that that does stand out. Um, uh, I, I guess another thing I like about it is that that well, that was a very long version, but already in my mind, I'm forming up very very short versions that could be used for different purposes. So yep. um, it's one of the things we say is that stories are infinitely compressible and expandable. And yeah. that one, I you know, I'm already locking onto some really short versions that I could use to make a business point. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. The um, the thing that occurred to me because I watched a couple of videos of Andrew, um, you know, talking about his discovery, and you know, it really reminds me of when I was a research assistant at the university, at Australian National University. I, I, uh, my one of the people I was working for, one of the researchers I was working for, was a guy called Dingle Smith. And Dingle oh, Smith. Come on, come on. You you work for Nugget Coombs and Dingle Smith. I, I did. Is, I, you really? <laughs> I know. It's like you're making these names up. You're making um, them up. But Dingle um, was a flood and drought researcher. And um, his desk was almost exactly the same as Andrew Wiles' desk. And that is, it was a, a you know, big, big desk, but just absolutely full of papers, just flowing off almost like off the edges of the desk and totally surrounded. Like it was in a bunker. He was like he's in a bunker full of. But with Andrew Wiles, it was just like single sheets of yellow, uh, you know, sort of uh, notebook paper just ripped off and thrown on his desk. And, uh, and that sort of image, I should have used that sort of imagery in the story I was thinking as I now think about that, because that's, I don't know, sort of evocative of that type of work 
you know. Well, um, no, yes, you could have. Yeah. But, you know, I, I already think that that story is quite a long one. And so it's, again, if you were on stage for an hour and you were using that story as a theme throughout a presentation, then you could totally... Now, let me talk about his desk, right? Yeah. And so you can drill into that detail. Um, uh, but for the purposes of, of the, the, you know, the story and the podcast, I'm not sure that that detail would be... Yeah. yeah I'd like I mean, to know yeah, his wife's name. That's one thing I'd like to know. You'd like to know his wife's yeah, name. Yeah, long-suffering, I would say. Yeah, long-suffering, <laughs> clearly. The just it reminds me though, long, longer stories. Like sometimes you do have a longer story, and it is hard to tell it in one. Like if you're in a in a meeting, like I and I'm, what I'm leading up to is that I remember having to go to a board meeting, and I had this great story. It was actually the sharp health story, right? Um, and it's kind of like a a longish story. Certainly, the way I was telling it, it might have been a might have been a ten minute story, but it was. I was in a board meeting, so it wasn't easy. I couldn't tell just a 10, one 10 minute story. Um, but what I did was I broke it up into three three minute stories, and I made sure that they sort of finished at a point that made a point. And, but I ended up telling the whole story, but in three parts of the meeting. And I thought, I say, if you do have a long story, this is one way to, mm. you know, to deal with it, right? Yeah. As a, and, and- apart from just shortening the story. Okay. That's, a, that's the, probably the best idea but yeah. if you want to tell that broader story yeah yeah and that, uh, what you said is important though you need to finish it the chunks at a at the at the part where a point is made that's right and otherwise so they're going to look at you like what are we doing what did you just spend three minutes doing yeah, there that's exactly yes. yeah a very interesting little homily that you've shared there sean yeah so i mean i think the um i think that's I mean, I, I, I like that story because uh, the Andrew, I like the, the element of um, here's a guy that had a plan, clearly had a plan, but knew he had to stick with this plan, you know, and he was going to have an amazing amount of resistance that just he was going to deal with, right? There was, it wasn't collaborating with anyone. He was just doing it by himself. So I think it's very interesting. Yeah, and, and I'm not I, I'm, so I, I've got a slightly different take on that because you said a man with a plan. I don't think he had a plan because he, you know, you could he had no idea about, you know, he couldn't plan, but what he did have was an objective. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and he made the plan up, you know, like he figured it out as he went. Yes. And for me, that's a you know, like again, another good business point, right? Is that like folks, we you know, let's be clear on our purpose, on our objective. Yeah, we don't know how we're going to get there. It's going to be like walking into a dark mansion and fumbling yeah. around. So, yeah. so I anyway, I that's my mind went to that. To that I suspect uh, our definitions of plans are quite different. You see, could be, you know, could be. I suspect you hear the word plan and it's a more um, concrete thing, and plan to me is more general thing. So, that could be part of it as well. Um, Good. So where so we, we've talked about persistence in terms of where we'd use it. Any other places you'd use this uh, story? Uh, uh, difficulty. Difficulty. In, yeah, dealing with difficulty. So if if something's really difficult, you could use that story and go like mm. this guy solved the most difficult thing. Right. Everyone yeah. three hundred and fifty years and no one could do it. This guy did it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. So, Especially if you're in a situation where people say, oh, no, look, this has been tried 10 times before 
Oh, can't perfect. be done. Like how many perfect. times have you heard that phrase, right? Yep. Um, well, you know, doesn't yep. mean it can't be done. Let me tell you about Andrew Wiles. Yeah. yeah. Right? So that's in that's 1986, he sat down and tackled a 350-year-old mathematical problem that had been tried by hundreds, but the Guinness Book of Records had as the most difficult mathematical problem ever in history. Yeah. Yep. And he solved it. He solved it. See, that's you've just told the shortened version. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so that's one of the so so difficult problems, persistence. Yeah. Um, the metaphor of the house. So um, Yeah, you can use that nicely. Yeah. Um yeah, I think they're probably some of the main things in that you'd use that story for. I'm sure you have a few others as we went along. Um just problem solving generally. Going into the unknown, those types of things. Very good. Uh, yeah, well, tackling tackling up you know, uh, unknown problems. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, there's multiple different uh, uh, business applications, and and you know as as we've been talking, I've been you know kind of mentally preparing myself for the low score I was going to give. Oh, you bastard! <laughs> <laughs> but you'll, on, be, you'll be like, happy uh, to know it, that it's been it's been as we've discovered more business uses through the conversation, the number has been increasing. Just just a sidebar here, Mark. Um, I was reading yesterday that um, there's a little exercise you can do with movies, right? Uh, to, and so if you ask someone, okay, what's a, a movie you've seen recently? Uh, like for us, Sheena and I went and saw Belfast on the weekend. So this uh, is the okay. Kenneth Branagh yes. movie. Yep. And uh, if you ask someone, okay, so out of 10, what would you give it? You know, And you know, I'll give it an 8 out of 10. But they say if you then ask the person, well, tell me, um, there's 10 things that you liked about it and 10 things you didn't like about it. All of a sudden, they're, they're, it's only in that conversation when you're digging in that the score changes. Essentially, exactly what you're experiencing with this story. It's only when you dig into the story, you start to have quite a difference. So your gut response on, on, on giving a, a score really doesn't bear out until you you go through a process like we're going through. So anyway, that's just a little little bit of uh, trivia, really, more than anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, with that in in that mind, okay, what's what is that score? What break it to me? A resounding seven. A resounding set. That's much higher than I expected. That's fantastic. Well, I, I'm going to give it an eight. I think it's a good story. I now that I remembered it, I'm going to I'm going to start to build this into a conversation. I can yes. I can tell that you're deeply in love with this story. Yes, I I have <laughs> some connection to. It. I don't know what connection. I've never. I'm not a. I wasn't strong at maths. I had to cheat in maths essentially to get ahead. So uh, at school, so. Um, yeah, maths was never a strong point. Well, but I, but science, I do, I thought, science is. Yes, I love I love the life of science. The two biographies I love reading, as you know, are uh, you know scientific biographies and ones of authors and artists. You know, and I, just, I don't know why. You know, I just find those so interesting. Just their process and how they how they make things. I think there's a lot of overlap between the two as well. Well, I think this is probably time for us to wrap up. Hey. Um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening in. It's been great to have you along to listen to Anecdotally Speaking. And 
yeah, we'll have more ch- more tunes, more episodes for you next week uh, on how to put your stories to work. So bye for now. Anecdotally speaking, was engineered by Dave Stokes from author to audio.